We have a chance now to listen to Mr. Ed Milet. Hey, the money you make should be a byproduct of who you become and what you do for others. It ought to not be all about the money all the time. It ought to be about who you become and what you do for others. And I want to promise you, if you'll become something, we're all on a trajectory, but I've watched Ed Milet become something. I've watched him come in. I, I, I was there when he, you know, those early meetings. I watched him and Rich work together and Rich mentor him. And I watched Ed come in with a deep drive and determination and desire. I've watched him develop his talent. He's a gifted, this is a gifted man. He's gifted in his ability to communicate, his vision, his, um, his work ethic. I mean, everything about him is, is awesome. I just appreciate him. I admire him. He helps. He makes me want to do a better job in preparation. He makes me want to do a better job in my delivery. And he has inspired me and our entire company in a great way and continues to do so. And we appreciate his leadership. I want you to take a lot of notes. I want this to be life-changing for you, not just meaningful. Hey, not just meaningful, life-changing. So help me welcome our great leader, Ed Milet. Can't understand that gibberish, but thank you. Thanks for the intro, Monty. Um, this is a cool time in the company. Monty's on his A game right now. I was talking to Sternaka. He said he was just at Monty's. He's never heard him better. Thought, you know, since he's got back, Monty's just gotten better and better and better. I think he's better than he was before he left. And Rich is the best I've ever seen him before. And uh, it was so good just to see Jack here. And uh, I can't really call where he is right now. Completely healthy. But at least he's able to be here with us. And it's great to see him, too. And, mate, Sonny, that was unbelievable. Sonny's... She's a different speaking style than me, but I gotta tell you something, she's one of my favorites because it's all just the stuff. You know what I mean? Can you tell like she's just a champion? You just feel that? I mean, my gosh, she is. Don't you wish you thought like she thought, like that airplane thing? Were you feeling a little guilty? You're like, I'd have probably taken a nap. You know? That was pretty good, man. I'm 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 just so impressed with her. She gave a great talk there, and I was telling maybe it was Monty, I'm not sure or Rich back there, but one of my top two or three talks in my whole career, Sonny gave. When um we were at an SMD meeting in uh, Vegas. It was just an unbelievable message. I hope there's an audio of that somewhere. I can't wait for you to hear from Penny and Greg and the rest of the group too. It's just gonna be a great meeting. So hopefully I don't screw it up for you. Hopefully I give you some stuff that you can use. So let's start from the very beginning. This is an intense meeting for me. I, 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 I was thinking about you this morning and last night after visiting with many of you. And I just want you to know, um, like really sincerely, um, I appreciate you and uh, I admire you. A lot, and that's why I want to do well today. That's why I want to try to help you. I really admire you. I um, I know where you are because I've been there, right? And I know how hard you guys are working, and I know you're right at that stage where you can see really great things happening, but you're not quite there, and you're still going through all those things Sonny described with people letting you down and appointments not happening, and a leader you promoted out who didn't quite make it, and maybe there's a guy in your group who's negative about you, or you know, you just. All you're dealing with right now, you know what I mean? And I just admire your drive and your hunger and the fact that you still believe you can do it. Some of you have been here just a short time, but as I look around the room, some of you have been here a long time. And you've persevered. You're relentless. This has not been easy for you. And, um, and frankly, let's be real. Some of you in here thought you'd be further ahead by this time. And you've not let the fact that you're not where you thought you would be impede your belief you can be. 
And that says a whole bunch about you. And that's going to happen many times in your career. Believe me, I've been in rooms before where I'm like, I just thought I'd be further ahead. You know, I'm so, you even said to me coming into this meeting, I can't believe I'm in a meeting trying to about CEO. How silly is that, right? You and I were talking about, it's not silly you're here. You're a stud. And you all are. You're all doing great. And this is a meeting where you can make this a catalyst and a shift to a whole new level. But what I don't want it to be about is you just getting to CEO. I want this to be about the next 10 years and the great company and the great life you're going to build. And so I want to talk to you about some. I'm going to get very specific, but I also want to talk about some bigger things, too. Is that, is that fair? Yes? So I'm going to talk to you like a brother or a sister. Some will be a little bit frank, but I don't think any of it will be offensive, I hope. So. And if it is, I don't intend it to be. Trust me. Um, first thing is this. Things have changed over the years in our company for so many good things. We've grown at 40% and 42%. Some of you are here, you saw the convention, we, we used to lie about how many we had when we had a former CEO, but we actually tell the truth, and you know, we went from having maybe 11, 12,000 people to convention, you know, multiple conventions with 15, 16, 17,000 people, two arenas, then two conventions with two arenas. Now we're so daggum big, now we're two completely separate conventions at different times in two arenas, right? It's grown. So there's been so many awesome things happen. The cash flows, the amount of seven-figure earners has just gone nuts. Multiple sevens. I mean, Eric Olson is earning more money right now than Rich Thawley was just eight and nine and ten years ago. That's how now he's not earning anywhere near what Rich Thawley earns now. But the point is, is that you can get where we are and ahead of us pretty dadgum quickly. However, there are some things that concern me that have changed. And one of them is even the vision we sell you or that you're selling people. When I got started, you know what I bought? You know the big dream I bought? Honestly, just being straight, because it's the same one I know Monty and Rich bought. The dream I bought on, really, really had very little to do with uh, like making CEO or going to Cabo or making the Europe trip. Like, honestly, uh, or having a Ferrari. Although I do have one, I can afford 100 of them, though, before I bought one, right? But it was none of that. The dream I bought was getting totally stone-ass wealthy and financially independent. That's the dream I bought. I bought that this business could make my, me, when I was young, totally wealthy and financially independent. Debt-free, totally financially independent. That was hammered into my head, and I bought that as a young man, taking notes and meetings. What I was doing this for was not recognition or accolades or travel or stuff, honestly. Even though I... I have the best upline in the world in Rich because I used to have a propensity for stuff. I think when you grow up with no stuff, you got to think you want stuff, right? Because it looks cool. But I always had this leader said, really, trust me, you really don't want it. You just want to know you can have it, which is actually true. But I bought this dream. I was going to get debt-free and totally financially independent. And I've said that sentence to myself, debt-free, totally financially independent, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. It's my relentless obsession to this day. Once I got debt-free and totally financially independent, then I wanted to get wealthy and save money and build a legacy and give money away and do good things with it. But although it's never been about the money, it's been about the other night we were in an Uber Joe, Vic, and I are uh, taking a ride back. The Uber guy that picked us up took us back to the, airport, uh, to the hotel. And for some reason, Joe's talking to the guy, and it ends up coming out that this guy was once with WFG and kind of had a license and flaked out and didn't know what happened. So I started grilling. Who was your leader? I don't remember the guy's name. I said, well, is he local? Yeah. I said, was he in the military? Yeah. Okay. It's Schwartz, right? And so we talked to him for a little bit. But if you want to know where my heart is, I asked Joe and Vic to step out of the car. 
They got out of the car, and I shut the door, and I talked to this man. I'm getting emotional about it, just because I know what it could do to his life, right? And I just talked to this man. He's a middle-aged man. He's driving an Uber. He's down on his luck. He's got a little tax practice. This is not what this man was born to do. It's not his dream, right? So I asked them to shut the door so I could just share some time with this guy, just a little bit. And I poured myself into him about what I thought his life could be like and that he's special and don't forget that and that we know that here and we build people, we develop people. And I got Schwartz on the phone with him. And the three of us talked for a few minutes, right? But so that's why I do the business is that there's a chance I'm going to, there's a chance we'll change that man's life. That's my deal. But the, 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 the life-changing thing for him will be we could get his family debt-free and totally financially independent and he could look in the mirror and feel proud of himself and feel good about himself, right? That's what I love about the business, that you need to buy the dream and you need to start acting like if you're not, every action you take in your business and your money and your savings and how you, how you treat humans in general is about you living an exceptional, being the best version of you. And the best version of you is debt-free and totally financially independent. This is too freaking hard not to at least get that at the end. This is too much work. It's too many Saturday mornings. It's too many emails when you want to sleep. It's too dadgum stressful for you not to get debt-free and financial pen. That's the dream. We don't, ever, don't let anybody else sell you any other dream ever again or you. Then you tell them, people, if you pay a price long-term, you do the things I tell you, you can get debt-free and totally financially independent. And let me say this to you. As good as you think that feeling is, once you're really there, I forget all the horrible emotions and feelings and stresses that come with not being that anymore. Don't we, Monty? We just forget. It's a free life. I bought being free. I'll be candid with you. I even bought when I was young that when I was this age, if I didn't want to work ever again, I don't have to. There's nobility. I'm still doing this. Rich is still doing this. Monty's still doing this. Jack. Because we love it and we love people. But we don't have to. I bought freedom. You know what? Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, on a Tuesday, you know what I'm doing? Sitting on the beach. There are Tuesday mornings. There have been Tuesdays in my life, in the last five years, where I'm in a dadgum, I am, sorry for our LDS folks, I am drinking a Corona with a lime in it on the beach on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. And when I'm doing that, it's rare, but when I'm doing that, I go, that's exactly what I bought when I was 21 years old and that stupid BPM with that goofball doing the meeting with everybody broke, nobody making it. I bought, I could be wherever the hell I want to be on an 11 a.m. Tuesday morning. That's freedom, right? That's what I bought, okay? Now, most of the time, I'm not there. Most of the time, I'm doing something at WFG or my kids or church or something like that because that's where I want to be. But it has been literally years I've been anywhere I didn't want to be. In other words, every place I've been, I've chosen to be there, not out of obligation other than a funeral or something like that where I'd prefer not to be there. Do you understand what I'm saying? That kind of freedom. Most people go through their whole life having to be places out of obligation and they are in bondage. They are not free at all. I'm a totally free man because of this business. And if I decide at 50, but you know what's funny about us, we're also the only organization in the world that when you get rich, you're a sellout if you don't work every day. There's no other business in the history of the world where you become totally, you're worth 100 million bucks and you're 45 years old and you're a sellout if you're sitting on the beach on a Tuesday. It's the most perverted, ridiculous, suppressive, insane culture in the history of companies we have here. 
It honestly is. We, we actually poop. Like, I won't say their name. We have leaders that don't work that hard anymore, and we talk smack about it. This loser, he got rich. Like, he built a business he's free of, and he's totally financially independent. It's the complete reverse of the dream I bought. If he wants to do whatever he wants with his grandkids on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, that's why he did all this crap. It should be a, you, you think people at Microsoft go, what a loser Gates is. Resigns his CEO and sits on the board. What a sellout. You think they did that? Around the world, curing malaria, spending billions of dollars. What a sellout. Not in here with us grinding on software every day. <laughs> We're the only place in the world where that's the case. We're all walking around. You know, I'm working hard. I just want you guys to know I'm really working hard. Hey, just so you know, here's my schedule. I'm working hard. Who the hell wants to be that guy? I bought the guys in my former firm in here that weren't working anymore. Wait a minute, you're telling me you're 52 years old and you golf three days this week? That's awesome. I'm going to go recruit some people. You understand what I'm saying? What, and, and that's my version of freedom, whatever the hell I want to do. It just so happens that I fell in love with people. I fell in love with this, and I happen to think this changes people's lives outside of their faith better than any enterprise I've ever seen. So that's why I do it. But I don't do it every single minute of every single day, and I don't want you to think I do. Because I'm wealthy, because I got wide, because I built a monster base shop, which is what I want you to do. So don't do anything short-term that could hurt that long-term. Don't cheat. Don't fudge. Don't do stuff with your folks where you stick some stuff under them or some apps under them to get them up. Don't do any of that stupid stuff that would hurt your 10-year company. You with me on that? I'm aggressive. I did some stupid things in the business when I was young. Okay? Many of you guys have. Okay? But once I figured out, oh my gosh, this really works. I could really be wealthy from this. I could really have something that impacts my great-grandchildren here. Monty and I are in the back talking about the property he's building. He's building a graveyard on that property. It's going to be such a legacy property for his family. Monty didn't even have a dad in his teenage years. He grew up super, Monty grew up sometimes not even eating certain meals. Can you imagine that? Missing, I mean, some of you can, frankly. And to turn into that through this, Monty doesn't own a car wash or a Subway sandwich shop. Rich doesn't. We own this. This is our business. We invest in other things, but this is our business. All right, made my point. What dream have you bought? What dream do you really want? And act like it all the time. Be relentless. Be obsessive. Talk about it. Think about it. Act like it constantly. And let everyone around you, even if it's your uplines, behave like fools and do short-term things that hurt them long-term. You own your business. You understand that? You own your code number. Well, you will. You own that enterprise. You do what you know is right. You be coachable, but you know what's right. Okay. How do we do that? We do that with what I call deliberate intention. I want you to just think about that word, deliberate intention, being relentless. Deliberate intention is that you have full intention on a focused goal, and you are deliberate in everything you do to pull that towards you. Okay, so let's talk about that just for a few minutes. What does that mean? I want to talk about some base shop stuff specifically that would help you do that. I link in my mind building a monster base shop to that freedom. Okay, monster base shops build leaders. They develop people. They do all the things that you guys know they do. But in my mind, I'm wealthy because I built a monster base shop. Let me rephrase that. I'm wealthy because we built a monster base shop. My wife and I and my teammates. It wasn't all me. In fact, a lot of it wasn't me. But my wealth is connected to a monster base shop. It's not connected to 7,000 crappy SMDs. It's not, I can't even tell you the date I got promoted to CEO. 
I don't remember when I went to SEVC. I wasn't really even trying to get there. It was completely insignificant because I was trying to get debt-free and financially independent. Now, a lot of people criticize our firm sometimes. They say, gosh, after all of this, I can kind of count, I think, the wealthy guys. Let me say something to you about that. That's because these other fools were playing the WFG game. I was playing the life game, using WFG to get my life. Don't play the WFG game. When I walk into the bank, I'll give you, this is cheesy, but hey, Nate, we were looking at, what did I just have at Bank of America in cash last night? Do you remember? Seven million. It shouldn't be sitting there, but it is, right? So when I walk in there, they know me. He saw this, we were just looking at our phones. That's just the bank. That's one bank. You get this? Okay. When I walk in there, they know my name. I'm just being real with you. This is a locker room deal, okay? They know my name. They do not know that I was an SEVC CEO, SMD of the year, or I have some belts or plaques in my house. No one's ever gone in there and go, hey, we'd like to make this loan, give you that higher interest rate, but we need to see evidence of that belt you won uh, back in 1996. Bring the belt in and we'll probably make the loan. You think they do that? They don't. Why would I make that my primary game? Those were, for me, leading indicators I was making progress towards the big goal. So did I want that belt? More than you do. I want to kill somebody for that belt. I want to be the MVP, the best, number one all the time, competing like a madman. You would not want to monkey with me, okay? Because those were leading indicators I was getting the big goal. That was not my ends, it was my means. Everyone got me on that? That was a means to an end. I'm almost dizzy up here on this stage. Okay. Let's talk about base, specific stuff. Let's build this monster base shop. Why? Um, I had a conversation with Hubert when I was pretty young. I said, hey, this is going to sound crazy to you, but I want to catch Swan Wen. Maybe at that time, maybe at that time I had 60 people. Probably at that time he had 10,000. Wasn't exactly a slugfest at that point, right? And uh, he goes, you can do that. Actually, he didn't say it that way. He goes, you can do that, boy. That's what he said to me. We're eating chicken fingers in Atlanta at some dump where he liked to eat. He goes, you can do that, boy. And he said, let me tell you how you do it first, because you can't catch him there. Let me, let me reverse the principle. When I get a new stud in my base, I would always tell him, you can't get bigger than, i use a name you know, Jamie Villalobos. But you can get more guests than her this week. You can beat Jamie Villalobos this week at something. And what we're going to do is we're going to start beating her at small things, until it leads up to us beating her at big things. Don't you ever do that with your new players? You get some senior associate in your base doing 50,000 points, and Zeke walks in as a new guy goes, I want to compete. You go, you ain't doing 50,000 this month. But you know what? If you get four guests this week and he has two, you whipped his tail, right? So that's how you start doing it. You pick places they can win small so they can win big. So what he said to me is he goes, you ain't going to get him this year. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to get wider than him this year. Where you're going to beat Swan Wen, you're going to smoke his butt this year, boy, in width, you're going to get more directs than him. The next year, watch, the next year, you're going to beat him in the base shop. If you get that width, that's going to lead to being able to go get him in a base. Swan does about 800,000 points in his base. That was back then. And so here's what happened. That next year, I have the stats. I'll bring them to you in a minute. I think I did like, I don't know, 50 or 60 some odd direct recruits that year. And frankly, that year, the big guy, he did like three. Right? I went, I smoked him in directs. What started to happen is there's a thing called confidence that starts to happen. Confidence is developed when you are doing things you know others aren't doing, so you know you should be getting things other people don't get. I knew I got wider than him, even if it was that one year, but I started to build a little confidence. That next year destroyed him in the base shop. Destroyed him. Now, all of a sudden, I got a bigger base shop than the big guy. 
Now, he's still smoking me and everything else, but do you think once I saw that I could take him out there, so what happened over the next three, four, five, six years, I started promoting a whole bunch of frontline leaders, a whole bunch of front, so was he, but I was promoting more of them. He had more work to do than me in other areas. He had a big old team to take care of. I didn't. My team got bigger and bigger, and about four years later, I got him in the super base, and I never saw him again. Not even close. Doubled him within two years, right? Now I'm smoking him in width, I'm smoking him in base, and I'm smoking him in super base. And then over time, some good fortune, Rich took a code number, some other stuff happened, some good stuff. I started to periodically catch him through sixth, whether it be a recruiting thing one month or a point thing one month. And then I made a transition, so we'll never know what would have happened. I think I know what would have happened. I'd like to think I know, but I will never know. And frankly, it doesn't really matter because he did it and I didn't. But the point is, that's how you'll catch people here. If you want to catch people, you're going to decide right now. Let's say you'd like to beat Eric Olson someday or Penny Oy someday. This year, get wider than them. This year, get wider than them. If you can, beat them in the base. If you consistently get wider, you consistently beat them in the base, it is inevitable, because no one's really that big here, it is inevitable that you will get them in the super base. And once you get somebody in the super base, if you keep running a base shop and they've got a super base and you're still getting wide, it's just a matter of time, you get them through sixth. I proved it. Okay, I started in the business 10 years after Swan. 10 years after, 11 years after. Right? And I had to start from scratch here. I'm talking about PFS and PFS. So you can do that. You can catch anybody. Now, how do we do that? We've got to set a tradition in our base shop of competition. So let's just, let's talk a little bit about standards because I think Sonny talked about it. I know Monty talked about it. Okay, there are positions, let's talk specific. Okay, so we, what do we know now? We know we need to build a monster base shop. Do we now know that? Yes. That's the key to getting wealthy. It does two things for you. It's the one that gets you financially independent and debt-free. Here's the other thing it does. It also helps you if you're a competitor and you want to win the WFG game, you only do that through that too. So it does both. The base shop is the place where you can win the WFG game and the life game if you do them correctly. That's the only place where they both can be won simultaneously. Okay, so because that's the case, let's really build a monster base shop. Here's what I know. I know you know stuff about how to build a base shop better than me. There are things you're doing better than I did them. There are things you know I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't know everything. I'm not a guru. I will never be your guru. I'm a dude who's made a lot of mistakes, who has experience. And I paid attention to what other people were doing, and I paid attention to my mistakes. But I don't know everything. I don't want you to ever look at me that way. Okay? I don't know everything. But I know some stuff. I know some things. Okay. Big principle in the base shop that I see being blown. So I'd rather hit things I think you're not doing than just acknowledge stuff you're already doing. Okay, I'm trying to find an area I can help you. Where I think I can help you is this. There are positions in a base shop for a reason. Associate, senior, depending on what you use, but let's just say associate, senior, two primary positions in a base shop. They exist for a reason. One, they exist because of the principle of you learning to get spread and overrides, but that's not the reason I'm gonna talk about them for now. They exist because it's where someone begins to build their standards and their legacy in the business. When they begin to design their culture that Sonny talked about. Here's the mistake many of you are making. I get licensed and we are immediately trying to rush me through every single position I could possibly get through as quick as I can get to SMD. Because if you can get a couple more frontline SMDs, you can get another couple initials next to your name and somehow that's a big deal. And you cheat me and you cheat you out of building a long-term monster base shop with super high standards with a great culture that lasts for decades. Here's what that means. If you were in my base shop, and, I and Zeke was in my base shop, ironically, <laughs> okay? So it's funny how that all works out, but Zeke was in my base shop. 
actually several of you were in my base shop that are here. Isn't that crazy? And a lot of you come from my base shop somehow or the other. Some of the really good ones too. But anyway, uh, anyway, should have kept that code number, man. <laughs> Sorry. Susan told me, Rich told me, Monty told me. God, I'm stupid. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, so I recruit Zeke. Here's what my conversation with Zeke isn't about. Man, we got to get you to senior associate. We got to all the stuff he's got to do. I want Zeke to dominate at associate. I'm going to show him a leader's bull. Let me, by the way, here's what's sitting behind my desk. Hey, Zeke, see that name? right Here's the associates of 1994. See this bad boy right here? See that name at the top? What's that say? Little Eddie Milet. That's when I was Eddie. I had hair. I was young. No surgeries. No nothing, man. It was all good. Number one, that's my legacy. I busted my butt. I was an associate for five months before I became number one. You know why I did that? Look what's right here. This is the senior associate leaders bulletin. Who's number one in the whole company on that thing? Me. You know why? Because I spent some time there because I wanted to get to the left side, the top 10. I wanted to build a legacy that if you're in our group, no matter what level it is in this company, associate through chairman of the intergalactic warriors, we're number one in every single area. Okay? We're number one in every area. So that's where I was. I didn't fly through there in a month. You know what it did? It cost me like 400 bucks because I stayed an extra 90 days. It cost me 400 bucks. I stayed there a little longer. I had qualified to go to the next level, but I was like 35th. No way I'm moving on 35th. That's not the legacy of this team. We're not the 35th best friggin' team in this company. We're the best team in this company. You could do it any way you want, but here's how we do it in this team. If you want to know how to change your culture, here's how we do it. That's where I'm at. Isn't it crazy? Here's the number one base shop in all the company right now by like double. You think there's any connection between these two things? There is, because let me show you why. This is my current base shop. See the associates right here? These are the top 20 in the whole company. See three of these top eight? Guess where they come from? Right here. You know where these three are destined to go? Right over here, to the senior associate side. When they get there, they're going to be dominating. They're going to be on the left side. We don't do right side leaders boldens in this team. We don't promote people on the right side. We promote people on the left side. You can decide whether you need to be one, number one, but you're going to get in the top percentage. I'll tell you that right now. That's what we do here. You're going to get over here. Why do you want to do that? It's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, literally, maybe a thousand bucks. I've made millions doing it this way. You're going to get over here. And when you get over here, you're going to dominate. And we're not promoting you. You can if you choose to. This is completely, you're an independent contractor. You can do it any way you want. If you want to have a team and a culture that constantly does minimums, have at it, and I will promote you. You got that? This is completely your decision. My advice to you as a mentor, as a coach, is that you want to sow the seeds into your team of a culture of winning, of high standards, and of that when someone joins your team, they know they're a part of something special by being a part of your team. You can decide which way you want to go. Because let me just tell you, the whole company's swimming the other direction. The whole company's quick, fast, social network, all that kind of crap, all that that's faster. That's the way to do it. I'm telling you, better is the way to do it. Okay? Faster is one way, better is my way. And so, here's the SMD part. And here's what happened when I did that, once I built that standard. People started having way more fun in WFG. It sucks to be a no-name senior associate who's number 227. It is way cooler to be the number three associate in a company, as long as you make a big deal about it, as long as you begin to promote it, as long as you foster that culture. It's a way bigger deal. And they get excited when they make senior associate. When they get there, it's not about how quick and minimums and can you help me, can you stick this, can you do that, none of that stuff. They're going, I can't wait to get to senior associate. 
My base shop was big for decades because I was wide. But the other thing I was, I had always had three or four or five monster senior associate players in my base shop who ran that thing. They competed against each other. One's doing 30,000 points a month, one's doing 20, one's doing 40, one's doing 18. I had a bunch of frontline senior associates in my base shop that were running that thing. They did the meetings, they did the speaking, I jumped in when they needed me to. And they had 12, 15, 20, 30 great associates in their teams at any given time. So that when I went, hey, guess what, Zeke, time for you to go to SMD, everybody knew it was for real. He was going out big. If you're an exchange leg person, that was all ancillary. That was easy to get from them. I didn't promote someone with 11 people, take a six-person exchange leg, and have five people left after exchange. Here's the mistake you're making. Nothing steals the energy and dream and passion from WFG than people meeting broke SMDs in your office. And that's because they were never successful associates, they were never successful senior associates, and somehow, miraculously, you think they're going to be a successful SMD. That's hilarious. Is there an exception to the rule? Absolutely, there's an exception to every rule, right? Allen Iverson was a great basketball player at 5'10", but there's like three of them ever. Okay, so I, I know you know somebody who was never big at those other levels and made it, but I was, Rich was, Monty was, Jack was, Penny was, many of you were, is that right? Okay, so that's why I want those standards in my base shop. I want them leading my base. My base was because I was wide and because I had those standards at each promotion. I made a huge deal about the associates, a huge deal about the senior associates. Those positions exist for a reason, okay? You can either do this two ways. Here's how important this is. I'm going to be candid with you. This rush through stuff, Swan decided, I got to get out of that business too. So he changed it where none of the titles mean everything. This is his strategy. 3330, Green Jackets, GLG. He diverted their focus away from the titles over to actually physically doing something. And it's brilliant and it's worked for him. That's how concerned he was about weak SMDs and flushing through the system. Okay, that's how he approached it, which is an approach you can take and it works. My approach was since they're there, since everybody wants them so bad, since everyone wants titles, let's play that game, but let's play it at every single level. Let's be the best associate, let's be the best senior associate before we move on. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes? Okay. That's a big deal. Then what's happening is your folks are competing at any given time. So when Mark made associate and got licensed, I'd say, Mark, let's bust out a leader's bowl and pick a name. We don't even know who these people are, but you know what? This Eric Gemolita dude under Guillermo Haro, I think they're in Pomona, he did 6,000 points last month. Let's go get him this month. Right when he came out, I'd get him competing on that leader's bowl and to go get somebody. And then behind that, I'm talking about him saving money, the dream, what I believe in him, all that other stuff that I'll talk about in a minute. Are you with me? Say if you are. Yes. Okay, cool. I'd like you to consider that approach, okay, of the standards. Then it's just a matter of people say, well, how do I switch it now? You don't switch the standards. You begin to edify production at those levels and people at those levels. You have to come back and go, guess what? We're not promoting anybody. That's not the standard at all. It's that we're going to begin to lift you up and let you dominate at a given level because we're going to build. You just don't. Look, LeBron James was one of the most dominant. Everyone that knows anything about basketball knew who LeBron James was prior to him getting to the NBA. Is that true? Because he was a dominant junior AI, whatever they call it, player, age, whatever. Everyone on the golf tour knew who the heck Tiger Woods was prior to him getting out there because he was dominant. Everybody in the NBA knew who the heck Michael Jordan was because he had won national championships at the other level, okay? It is very rare for someone ever to come in. There are always, there's always, people say, well, Tom Brady, who's a neighbor of mine in one of my communities, Tommy's a six-round draft pick. He was the quarterback at Michigan. 
Not like this guy came out of nowhere. Now, he didn't play till he was late in his career, but he's a quarterback at Michigan. I mean, come on. This isn't a dude who came out of a junior college, right? Guy was obviously a good football player. He got drafted to the New England Patriots, and they had just put $50 million into their starter, Drew Bledsoe. So they must have seen something in this guy, right? It wasn't that flukish. So don't give me that. You're dominant at other levels. Okay. How do we drive that? How do we drive the base? How do we create it? First thing I would do if I was going to try to really supercharge my base shop again is I'd get obsessed with my width. I know you tune that out. Let me tell you how I know I, you tune that out. I'm a, I have 340,000 people following me on Twitter. I have a lot of Twitter followers. Some of you aren't. So you'll ask me at these meetings, would you mentor me, would you coach me, but you don't even follow me on social media, on Twitter. Why would I come to a meeting for you? So if you want me to do stuff for you, follow me on Twitter. Right? Because I put out a whole bunch of stuff there, and I got YouTube videos and training videos and all that, and you ought to have your people following me on Twitter or at least retweeting those tweets. It's the only social media place you'll find me. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not going to post you pictures of the steaks I'm having or the shrimp or whatever. I'm just not doing that, okay? I don't think it matters. But you can follow me on Twitter, and I'll give you some business information, okay? Um, let's talk about this. Where, how would I grow my base? The first thing is with. Oh, by the way, why would I say I know that people don't want to hear about that? When I tweet a message about, like, winning or heart or dreaming, it gets retweeted a zillion times. If I put out any tweet that is actual specific work, nobody retweets it. You want to know why? They don't want to expose themselves to their teams. If I put a tweet out that says, you're supposed to be getting two to four wide every single month, I put one of those out, and no leaders retweet them. Because if they forward that to the team, people are going to go, well, what the hell about you, Sparky? Why aren't you doing that? So if it's ever actually about getting wide or work, no one forwards those messages. But if it's about, you've got the heart of a lion and the dream of a warrior, oh, those go all over the place, right? <laughs> they love that crap, right? But if it's work, let's not, let's not expose myself here. I'm, I'm at home in my, eating Fruit Loops in my underwear at the 1030. <laughs> You know, so the real work is getting wide, right? Getting direct. How do I know that? Here's Elmo. We don't need to go through the whole thing. If we can go to Elmo, guys, just real quick, okay? This is my width, 94, 34, 95, 37, 96, 39, 97, 81, 98, 50, 41, 29, 41, 21, 14. I was done. Those are my directs, okay? What did that do for me? Not a whole lot. Zero SMDs. One SMD, four, two, I sucked, I struggled. I'll tell you what I was doing wrong there. Then I meet this guy, Tholly, about that point. I learned about a system, I learned about building, I learned some of these principles. I merged what I knew there and here, and then boom, one year, 21 frontline SMDs. Would you like that, yes or no? One year, 21 out of your base. Think we got some enthusiasm going there? Let me tell you how that happened. Tons of associates dominating, tons of senior associates dominating, going out strong and making it happen, right? 21. And by the way, here's how it really happened. Boom, 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 boom. I was making investments. I was making deposits so eventually I could make withdrawals of SMDs. Here's how it works. You must make these deposits before you can make withdrawals. I know there's some goober in the company who's going to tell you just tap root deep and you'll get all your wit that way. That's just an excuse not to do the hard work. Do both. As if you can't do both. Why wouldn't you do both? Okay, you would do both. Okay, so 21, that's a good year. Would you agree? Next year, 17. 38 front line in two years. Hello? You think they were competing too? Do you think there's a difference between trickling 38 over 20 years and 38 over two years and the competition and the veracity and the nuttiness? 14, 20, done. And ended up my code was doing about a million 650 at first. All right, there you go. Okay, so that's why I say get wide. How do you do that? You gotta set that example, but then here's the thing. If I were to go back, I want to invigorate my base shop. Uh, one thing I would, I would focus on obsessively is invitations. I'm talking fast, by the way, because I, I only have limited time. Okay, they even gave me a little bit more time, so, so I appreciate that. So 
driving invitations is the key to a base shop consistently exploding. I did not know that in my prior company. I learned that from my mentors when I got over here. Okay, driving invites. That means every single week, you or your, should be your base shop coordinator, are driving invitations to one-on-ones and the meeting. What does that not mean? It does not mean tracking them. Tracking them is useless, okay? Well, not useless, but not useful. Driving them, that means you or staff or someone is calling, is calling Mark and saying, Mark, hey, Ed asked me to give you a call. Want to know how many confirms you've got today? What are their names and numbers? Boom. And the base starts to know they're getting a call or an email or a text every day, so they might as well be working. So many of your people know you're not paying attention to them, so they don't do any work. But if they knew there was going to be a text or a call every day they had to answer to, all of a sudden, there's just a point in the day where they go, I'm going to get the damn text. Let me call this guy. Right? Your paying attention to them causes them to perform better. Make sense? Yeah. That's why in football, there's not a head coach. There's position coaches and coordinators as well. So every person knows they're being watched. In the NFL now, they film every segment of practice so that when you go back into the film room, this is a professional athlete, the best of the best. They filmed every step you flip and take it in practice. They go, what are you over here drinking water for? Why were you stretching there? Why was this half speed? Right? Same thing in the business. So you're driving invites. What you'll find is your invitations will quadruple and quintuple just by driving it, just by focusing on it. The other reason we want to drive those invitations is because now you know the names. When you know the names, there's a list when people come to your office on Tuesday night for your BPM and people think you're prepared. Instead of your, your greeter going, hi, who are you? Oh, hi, Dave. They go, oh, Dave Johnson. We were expecting you. Here, Dave. Just a little more professional. Does that make sense? The bigger reason is, is that after everybody signs in, guess what you have a list of? Who didn't show up? Now you know who didn't show up. If you're not driving this, you don't know who didn't make it. You don't know who to call the next day. Now you're starting from scratch again. A proficient base shop drives invitations for the no-shows so that the next day you go, gosh, of those 80 invitations, these 40 no-show, that's who we call today. If they're invited to a meeting, you defer to a one-on-one. -on -one. If they're invited to a one-on-one, -on -one, you defer to a meeting. Does that make sense to everybody? Am I talking too quick? Okay, so we must drive invites. Let's be real. You've done that before and it's worked. And here's what happens. The team fatigues on it, doesn't it? They get a little tired of it. And also, after a while, it kind of fries out and you kind of go, man, the numbers are getting lower and lower, almost getting exposed. Let me hide for a couple weeks so no one knows how bad our invitations are. The reason it fries is not because you've been driving it. The reason it fries is because you're not building associates that are dominating and senior associates that are dominating and you're not getting wide, so you're calling the exact same people all the time. But if there's newer people there, that would change, which is point number three. Point number three in building a monster base shop is meeting attendance. Sernaka's gonna talk a little bit about this. I'll just touch on it briefly. I'll let Greg give it to you from his perspective. I'm obsessed with meeting attendance. To this point, all the great leaders are. I'll give you an example. Swan just, uh, Swan just had a meeting, and I said, how'd the meeting go? Do you know what he said to me? We had blankety-blank people. It's his first response. It's always the first response with a big leader. Not how good the speakers did, or how powerful the environment was. That's you deluding yourself into thinking you had a good meeting. You know you just had a good meeting? There were more people there than the last one. Not how good the speakers did. It's the most overrated thing on planet Earth. I'll give you an example. We had great speakers at this convention. Our production tanked after the convention this year. <laughs> no matter how good the speakers are, no matter how many people you got. We had fewer people there than I thought we'd have. We had more than we used to, but I thought we'd have way more. So did some of you guys. So meeting attendance, what does that mean? Well, I'm driving it like nuts. 
If you read the business format system, it says the BPM is first for who? Do you guys know? Who's the BPM actually exist for? Who? Well, who's it first for? No, it's not. Business format system, the BPM is first for your existing teammates. Your existing teammates. They need to be back there. They need to be there. Second, it's for your guests. First, it's for your existing teammates. Because every single week, they need to be reinvigorated, re-inspired, retrained, re-believing again. Because they're constantly, remember this, all of your people are constantly negotiating and thinking about quitting. Just know that. No matter what their face tells you, no matter how excited they are, they are all constantly negotiating and thinking about quitting. And it's your ability to have that in the back of your mind in every single conversation you ever have with somebody, they're thinking about quitting. So we get a poor belief into them, poor vision into them. Like Monty said last night, I probably said it in his talk this morning, which I missed, the problem solving versus vision stretching, right? They can be on the fence about quitting. You don't even address the fact that they're quitting. You stretch their vision, problem solved. Okay, that's why they got to be back at the BPM, why meeting attendance is so important. When I say big base shop, I'll be honest with you, big base shop to me is butts and seats. When I was promoting someone in my base shop, more than their production, more than their recruiting, it's how many damn people do they have? I know that's foreign to a lot of you, but people, lots of people in seats means everything else is good. It means you're tap rooting, it means somebody's wide, it means you're training and equipping, it means you're inspiring people, it means you're building relationships, it means there's spouse attendance, meeting attendance. I'm a, so I so obsessed that every week for 10 years, we had the previous week's number up here, we had 72, next week we're going to have 85, and I would drive that number every single week. Meeting after the meeting, I'd get with Mark and his associate, say, Mark, how many got here tonight? I said, we got six, Ed, two guests. I say, great, that's eight. Next week, how many are we going to have? He goes, I'm going to have 10 teammates and four guests. Awesome. Driving meeting attendance, driving meeting attendance. That helps invitations, that helps one-on-ones, that helps recruiting. Here's why that's so critical for all you guys, because you're into this newfangled recruit somebody five minutes after the BPM, didn't really recruit them so you can get a recruit number thing you're all doing now. And so most of them aren't even back at your meeting the next week, and you've deluded yourself into thinking you recruited somebody. Real growth is more butts and seats than the previous week. How insane is it that you have 40 people in your base shop, the next month you recruit 25 people, and the next month you have 42 people there? Because you're not, and here's the only reason. You're not focused on getting them back there. How do we focus on that? I'm constantly selling the next BPM, the next meeting, like you sell a national convention. You're not going to believe what we got Tuesday. Unbelievable training. It's going to be so unbelievable. You've got to be there. It's going to blow your mind. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then I'd call guys that weren't even doing well, because I'm so, like, like you would with a fast start school. Mark, I need you there. Can you do name tags? You give them a task. You give them a this. I got to talk to you. When you get there, grab two with me, right? We got to talk. I'd do anything I could to constantly get them back, constantly driving meeting attendance. And all of a sudden, I woke up and I got three, four, five hundred people coming out in my base shop. Try to beat me now. I'm getting four, five, six directs a month. I'm driving invites like crazy. I got associates and senior associates doing the thing, and I've been focused on meeting attendance when you're focused on recruiting. Recruiting's low-level focus. You got to that's a means to an end. You must recruit people, but that should not be your obsessive focus. Your obsessive focus should be the meeting attendance and the development of leaders caused by recruiting. That's the lie you've been told the last 10 years in this company. You gotta recruit, you gotta recruit, you gotta recruit. Yeah, and they need to be back. They need to be in meetings, they need to be getting equipped, they need to be getting trained. I kinda hope we're recording this because this is good for me actually. Okay, so meeting attendance, obsessive, I mean nuts. You're building three teams, three separate teams. You're building your Tuesday night team. That's just everybody somewhat committed, possibly committed, still checking it out, somebody's brother. Is that right? 
Then you're building your Saturday morning team. That is a more committed group of people. Typically, most of you have fewer people on Saturdays than you do Tuesdays. Am I right about that? Say yes. Okay, so you're building that team. It's a slightly more committed group of people. And then you are building your Monday morning full-timers team. Those are your business partners. I was conscious about selling each of the three meetings and being a, a relentless preparer to bring value at all three meetings. Rather than winging it at 5.30 Tuesday night, what are we going to cover tonight? I knew on Sunday night what I was covering Tuesday night, and I was selling it hard prior to them getting there. Make sense? Okay. And then two other things. You got to teach people how to close. People need to know how to know close. They need to get a check. They need to know how to close. They need to get a yes. They need to know how to give a presentation, make a suitable recommendation, and get somebody to say yes. And so you should spend an inordinate amount of your time on closing. On how to there's different types of closes, by the way. There's a phone call. They need to know how to close for an appointment, don't they? That's one type of close. There's the recruiting interview to close to get a recruit. There's also the closing process to become a client. Once you're good at those things, then you learn how to close the other things. Closing people to get to events, closing people to come Tuesday night, closing people to get licensed. But the big three closes are phone calls, recruiting, and selling. I spend an inordinate amount of my time teaching and role-playing that. People do not learn how to close by listening to you do it in the field only. That's one way they learn and the best way they learn. But it should be back. The number one way you learn to close is in the field being trained. But it is backed up by one-on-one -on -one role play, I say it, you say it type stuff. You should do that with all your new people. But here's the secret. You should also be doing it periodically with your existing people. If you have someone in your base shop who is a senior associate and they did less than 20,000 points last month, you know what? They don't know how to close or teach people how to close. You don't need to wonder. You've deluded yourself into thinking they're good at it. If they were good at it, they wouldn't have done 4,000 points last month. Most of your full-timers are not struggling because they're lazy. Most of your full-timers are struggling because they can't close to get wide. They can't close on the phone to get appointments, and they can't close one-on-one -on -one to close sales. If they could, they would be. They have families to pay, to feed, bills to pay. You've del you, the cop-out leader goes, they're lazy. The, ex the excellent leader says, this is my fault that I've not equipped them or they've lost the ability to close. I brought in big, I brought in Jamie Villalobos 10 years into her career to role play her presentation with me when she was struggling. Okay, so you gotta be spot checking. You don't need to wonder. Hubert, you say, inspect what you expect. Let me be candid with you. They're so much worse than you think they are, it would blow your mind. When I listen to this tape back or I ever listen to a speech I give, it's so much worse than I thought it was, right? I'm nowhere near as good at it as I think I am. Neither are your folks at closing. You have to be working on closing all the time with them and practicing with them. Are you with me on that? Say yes, okay. And then the last thing is building their identity. Constantly building someone's identity and their confidence and their belief in themselves, pouring into them belief on a regular basis over and over and over and over again. I believe in you, you can do it. How do you get me to believe I can do something? This is important. You get me to believe I can do something when you tell me something that I actually think is true about myself, a trait I have, and you link it to being successful. In other words, if I just tell Eric, you're going to be a stud, you're going to be big, that's how most of you do it. You're going to be amazing. I believe in you. You're great. That's totally empty and hollow. You're supposed to say that. You're their leader. You're supposed to say that. They're your dad, right? Or you're their dad, okay? But if, I, if Mark knows, this is Mark, and I know Mark because we shared an office together. Mark is a relentless worker. This dude works, okay? He's a hoss, okay? The other thing he is, is an incredible, and I'm, you know that I think this about you. He's an incredibly considerate man. Like, more than a normal man. Like, if it's, he, he does kind gestures for people that not, 
I don't do. He's just a kind, generous man. He just is. He honestly is. And, and here's the two things. Even though he may struggle with his self-confidence, even look at your face when I say it. Look at you, right? Look at him. Because he knows those two things are true about him. He's always been kind. He's always been generous. He's always worked hard. He's getting them, right? Because he knows, right? If I can get him to believe that I see that in him, and that, which it is why you're going to be big and are getting big, but if I can get him to believe that that thing he in his soul knows was sown into him when he was born is one of his natural giftedness from God, if I can get him to believe that about winning, here, done. And I'm constantly telling him that, constantly telling him that, constantly telling him that. That's how I build belief. And then on his own, when he begins to do things other people aren't willing to do, he goes, I deserve to be successful, and his identity changes. That's the primary way to do it. Do you follow what I'm saying? So it's getting quiet with your people, having that breakfast, having that lunch. You know this with your people in your base shop. You know what's special about them. Tell them specifically. It's your heart. It's your people skills. It's your closing. It's your intensity. It's your competition. It's your generosity. It's your work ethic. It's your intellect. It's your math skills. It's your uh, nurturing ability. It's your speaking ability. Whatever it is, when they know it's true and you link it to them winning, they then believe they can do something, which is completely different than just hollow, shallow, I believe in you crap. You all with me? Say yes. Okay, that's how we build identity, and it's repetitious, and it's over, and it's over. If you really want to get to them, you tell their spouse about how much you believe in both of them. And then when you're not there, she says, do you know what he said about you? Oh, that's lights out, brother. You start pouring that kind of belief in. By the way, you know a lot of the spouses really don't think that you're going to win? When you begin to tell the spouse that he's going to win for those things she already knows to be true about him, she starts to believe it even prior to him making money. So that's how you build identity. Okay, all right, I'm way behind. Okay, that's how you build confidence. I want to tell you about one other thing. There's a power to being relentlessly obsessive about something, and um, that power is, I just want to do one psycho brain thing with you, okay, one personal development thing. Um, the reason I'm such a hawk about personal development or work, I'll give you an example about doing things that you don't think you should be doing. My son just was really close to doing something amazing in golf, and he messed it up. And so after the term, I said, what do you think it was? He said, I made a mental breakdown. I made a decision that was wrong. And he goes, but the other thing I noticed, Dad, is these guys are more fit than me. He tells me this on a Friday at like 8 o'clock at night. I said, what do you mean more fit? He goes, they're all in the gym. I'm, not, I'm just hitting balls. I'm not in the gym. He's 14. You know, he's not even. And he goes, I don't want to look like you, but I do want to be leaner. No, because I have a horrible body for golf, right? You couldn't, I mean, there's a terrible golf body, right? Which I prove every time I play. So, so he, says, um, he says, Dad, I, I, I want to. I want to start to get more fit. I want to start to work on some stuff. And I said, okay. He said, you want me to get you a trainer? He goes, no, I want to work out with you. I don't want to look like you, but I want to work out with you. I said, you do? You sure you want to work out with me? He goes, no, I want to, I want to train with you. I said, okay. So he goes to bed. I knock, because I work out six days a week, 5.30 in the morning, right? I'm at the gym. So I knock on his door at 4.30 the next morning, Saturday. He goes, what? what, what? I go, let's go. He goes, what are you talking about? I, I, I go, we're going to the gym. We're working out. Let's go right now. Get up. He goes, it's dark. I said, you said you wanted to work out with me. I said, Max, I said, Max, listen to me. You know how you've made a decision? You've taken immediate, massive action. Otherwise, it's a thought. Do you want this to be a decision or are you thinking about working with me? He goes, no, it's a decision. I go, then we're going to take immediate, massive action. Get your ass up. We're going to the gym. Right? And he did. He got up. We worked out. We did a little light workout. We're coming home. I said, hey, Max, how many guys you played with last week? You think we're at the gym at five? Now I'm reinforcing his identity. I said, how many guys do you think you played with last week or at the gym at 5.30 in the flipping morning on a Saturday, and you're going to go play 18 holes of golf in an hour? He goes, and he had not thought of it. That's why you need a leader. He goes, nobody. I said, dude, 
this is good. We're going to keep doing stuff these fools won't do. You're going to start getting stuff they won't get. And he, I could just see his chest start to lock. You're damn right, right? So it's making a decision is immediate massive action and doing things other people won't be willing to do. That's how you change identity, okay? Okay, so there's a part of your brain, though, when you become obsessed with something. People say obsessions. There are healthy obsessions and unhealthy obsessions, okay? You think about a... Um, uh, people struggle with sobriety in my family, left and right. If you're an alcoholic, okay, and you have an addiction to alcohol, you will find, I, we have a guy in our company who has an alcohol issue. I'm not going to tell you who he, he, he may even be sober now, so this was years ago. But I'll never forget, he and I flew on a flight to Tampa together. We landed at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And we got to the hotel, and I check in, he goes, I'm going to go, I go, what are you doing? He goes, ah, let's make some phone calls. But what he was really doing was he had to go find alcohol. He couldn't sleep without having a couple drinks, right? Except the problem was it was 2.30 in the morning. By the time we actually got to the hotel, it was like 2, 2.30 in the morning. Everywhere's closed, right? But somehow that dude found someone somewhere because he showed up the next morning in a meeting with you, Monty. Remember that? Late, smashed. He went drinking all night. I'm thinking, how in the world do you find alcohol? Because when you're obsessed with something, you'll find it. So there are healthy obsessions. If you're obsessed with getting wide, if you're obsessed with finding directs, if you're obsessed with finding exemplary people that are your directs, you'll find them. Now you think, well, that's mumbo jumbo. I'm gonna prove it to you. There's actually a part of your brain that I've been familiar with for 20 years called the reticular activating system. It's the RAS part of your brain. And it proves that. Here's, I'm going to read to you. This is a great book on Change Your Habits, Change Your Life by Corley. Had you followed me on Twitter, I recommended it six months ago. Okay? It's an excellent book. Um, but let me tell you what he says about the RAS, and I'll tell you about how I use it. And I'll tell you how it applies here. It applies in everything, by the way. Our perf this is general mumbo-jumbo. It's the kind of stuff I like. I'll give you the part that you need to pay attention to because the rest of it's stupid. Our prefrontal cortex, which is called our conscious mind, rarely picks up most of the sensory information we take in every day. Every day we are bombarded with an enormous amount of data taken in by our five senses. The hippocampus and the reticular activating system, or the RIS, is part of the subconscious mind. It sees or captures all of the sensory information, but intentionally does not share it with the conscious mind. This is so the conscious mind does not get overwhelmed, causing it to go into overload and shut down, meaning sleep. Instead, the subconscious filters what information the conscious mind sees by way of the reticular activating system. The RIS will only share this information with you, specific certain information that is allowed in the conscious mind that represents three types of things. Information that's necessary for survival. Two, information related to dreams or goals. And three, information related to our beliefs. So what that means is you see tons of different things, but this reticular activating system is a screen. It blocks you from seeing everything that isn't related to those three things. Survival, dreams, and your beliefs. So if you if that's why it's so massively important that you have gigantic self-confidence or a belief that you're destined to win or a belief you're going to win because your mind delivers to you and will only share with you. So here's what happens. I'm, a, I'm obsessed, part of my dreams and goals is getting four directs this month or finding a stud. We're in a restaurant together. You're not that way. You're casual about it. You got a million other things. Or you're not what I, what I call intentionally focused, right? And so what do you do? There's a conversation going on two booths behind us. Some guy's talking about he used to be in the mortgage business. 
since 08. It was great before that, and he's had a downslide, and he's looking at what he's going to do. My, we both heard it, but this is brain true. Your brain does not share the auditory conversation with you because it is not your dreams or goals, your beliefs, or necessary for survival. Because it is mine, I, my, I'm hearing, the, both our ears picked it up. Your RAS does not let you hear it because it's not important. I hear it. You ever been like on an airplane and there's some guy talking on his phone too loud, right? And it's only bothering you because you let it bother you. Now it's important. You can hear the whole friggin' conversation four seats away. You ever have that happen before? Because you've made it important to you. Now you can't hear anything but what this dude's saying. You can't read your book. You can't focus on anything else. So there's a truth to being obsessively a focus. The same world is not revealed to all of us. The same world is not revealed to all of us. It's a fact. It's how your brain works. That's why I say in my CDs, if you ever buy a new car, you buy a, I use it in my CDs, I say a blue Honda. If you buy a blue Honda, they were always on the road, but all of a sudden, once you have it, there are blue Hondas everywhere, true or false, because it's become important to your conscious mind. So because that's important, you'll see a blue Honda five lanes over going the wrong way that you would never see before. I'm in the same car as you. I see no blue Hondas. You ever play that game with your kids? You go, find everything white in the room. I just did this. Uh, there's a guy that's a rookie quarterback. I'm not going to tell you his name. For the Denver Broncos. He's not playing right now. And John asked me to come in and spend an hour with him on the power of the RAS. And so what we did is we did film, and I made him stop the tape, and I did odd things with him. I said, find me everything brown in the picture. And he had to pick everything brown. I said, I'm going to play it again. Find me everything brown in the picture. And he found a couple more things. I said, I'm not going to show you the picture. Tell me everything that was blue in that picture. And he could name almost nothing because it was not important. And once I gave him blue, then we stepped it back, and I made him find where the DB was. I made him find where the DB, John's sitting there, where they rotate to coverage. Find him. Because if I can get him to begin to see where the safety rotates, it's going to become like it is for Brady where it's automatic. It's so reflexive for him. He sees the safety rotate. He'll look it off, and he'll throw to this side. So it's true in football, it's true in sports, it's true in everything. I could go hours on this, but there's a proof to you being conscious about what you're looking for. The more specific you are about what you're looking for, the more likely you are to find it. What's that mean? Then I'll be done when you, on this topic. When you're looking for a recruit, that's a vanilla file. Your brain can't find a recruit. You, mean, you need to become more descriptive to yourself on any given day with some specificity. The more specificity you give your conscious mind, the more the subconscious will share that stuff it senses. So if I, I have been good at this, I would literally for that day describe who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a tall African-American, former military male with tons of presence. All of a sudden, I promise you when you walk around this hotel today, now, could we walk around Lodi and take a while not to find that guy, Folly? Yes, but I promise you in the real world when you describe somebody, you will find them. Does that make sense? I want a bilingual woman who is, an, is driven for, you'll see them, you'll hear them. You have to be, the more specific you are about what you're looking for, it doesn't even need to be, it could be male, female, it could be ethnicity, it could be characteristics, it could be beliefs, it could be, it could be anything. But the more specific you get with what you're looking for, the easier it is for your RAS to see it and reveal it to your brain. Everyone with me? Was that too much babble? Okay. Okay. So I do that stuff in everything I do. I do it for finding good real estate deals. I do it for finding recruits. I do it for finding fun. I do it, I'm, I'm, my mother-in-law has me on this thing right now, which is cool. I used to joke about this. My mother-in-law can see God in literally every single setting of every single day. 
She's this amazing Christian woman. She's unbelievably powerful. And you'll be walking with her in the window. She'll go, thank you, Jesus, for the breeze. Cooling me off. Thank you, Jesus. She can see Jesus in every single thing. I mean, I'm telling you, man. It's, uh, so she's got, I, we were talking about this one day with my, my nephews gathered around. They're like, Uncle Eddie, tell us about some of the stuff. I'm like, all right, here's a little thing you could work on, you know, for school. And for, by the way, you can teach your kids to do this for finding answers to tests, too. But that's a whole other conversation. So. Anyway, it's a learning mechanism. But anyway, I'm telling her this, and she goes, well, I want you to spend a month just looking for the Lord and everything you do. I go, you know what, Patricia, I'm going to do it. And all of a sudden, there's all these different, I'd like see, I, like the guy at my gym, that greet, the next morning, the guy who greets me at my gym, I talk to him every morning, his name's Garrett. And I'm walking out, I walked in, hey, Garrett, what's up? He goes, man, this is like a car show every time you come in here, what are you doing? I just had this feeling about, so I'm leaving, I say, hey, Garrett, are you married? And he goes, yeah. And I go, I'm going to ask you a crazy question. I said, are you? and it doesn't matter what your religion is, honestly. Just, which I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he got, got like you did, kind of like watery. He goes, yeah. I, I, how did you know? I said, dude, Holy Spirit's obvious on your, just every time I see you, dude, you're like a light. You've got this great energy. And he goes, man, I can't believe on a day like today you'd say that to me. He goes, I need to hear that. I said, well, I, and by the way, the only reason I saw it that day is I was looking for it. And he goes, I'm glad you said it. I said, why? And he says, well, I, I haven't slept. I was at, we're building a new church. So he goes, you know, my truck, I think you got to go look. I, I'm doing all the drywall at our new church, man. I spent all night. I left here. I didn't go home. I ate dinner there. I'm building the drywall at the church. I said, dude, you said, where are you going to church? And blah, 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 blah. So we've kind of made this bond. I would have never had that dialogue with him. Now, that could be a recruit, couldn't it? You think I could recruit that guy right now if I wanted to? Of course I could. But I connected with him because I was looking for something specific. That's all I got for you on that. Okay. A couple more things. Um, all that sounds good, doesn't it? Yes. Except every, Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. All the best plans in the world are good until you just get smacked flat in the face and you need to react. And so the, there's just this other element of whether you're going to be relentless and persistent when you get knocked down. Because everyone's going to get knocked down. The difference, but most people eventually do get up. The difference with champions is time on the mat. Champions get knocked down, and they are faster to recover to their feet than the average person is. The loser lays there forever, but most people aren't losers. Most people are in the middle. Most people eventually get up, they think about it, they negotiate it, they get up. But the champion recovers faster. You have less down. It's okay to get down. I have down days all the time. I have down hours all the time. I certainly have mornings where I wake up, I'm not inspired about my day. I'm not a robot, right? But the amount of time I allow myself to stay in that state it's very low. And the reason is, is I, I have a, a trigger where if I can just exercise, if I can move my body, even if I just take a walk, it changes my state, I'm back to me again. Anytime I feel something bad, I move my body, it changes my state. That's just my, my MO. Okay, so you got to get back up when you get knocked down, you're going to get knocked down. One more thing on your base shop, or two things, uh, we need to build leaders. I got to do this so quick. If we're going to build leaders, there's, I'm going to give you a, there's an art and a science. The art is what I just shared with you where you're building their identity. There's actually a science too. The science is the following. There's two ways we develop leaders. One is that we are a copy worth copying. Let me be specific. What that means is I want you to consider that the rest of this year, if you want to create an explosion, that you run what I call contingent contests. These are reversal contests. Contingent contests mean essentially this, that every single contest and reward you run for your team is not only contingent upon their performance, but yours. Now the whole team can hold you accountable. What's that mean? What that means is this. If you're going to run, I don't care what it is. You can say, hey, next 30 days, the top 10 personal recruiters in the day are going to a steak dinner with Joe Blow, right? 
except if I don't get at least two directs, the whole contest is off. So I ran contingent contests 95% of my career. It wasn't like, you go sick them and I'll give you a steak, or I'll take you on a trip. I wanted the whole 90 of them, the whole 200 going, Ed, where are you at? How wide are you? Don't blow this for us. you got to get yours done. It could be anything. It could be my width. It could be invitations. It could be my production. But I leveraged almost every single contest on the leader. You do it, I'll do it. So if I don't get my whatever it is, we're not going. So hold me accountable. So BPM night, then it wasn't just me beating them up all the time. How many you got? What do you have? They're like, how many do you have? Are you on your two? We got to do this. I'm like, I'm working on it. I got it. I got two guests tonight. It created a conversation that was constantly going on that was, was, a, was the law of reciprocity. I'll do it. You do it. So do more contests that are, you will see a transformation in how people are coachable and follow you and want to perform when they know you're, you stuck your neck out there. Quit running all these damn contests where you're like, all right, rich guy here, I'll give you this if you do that. Throw yourself into the fray and they'll respect you more and you'll build more leaders. Does that make sense to everybody? I could do an hour on that. The second scientific approach to building leaders is this. You need to be running some type of special big event every six to eight weeks with your group. Not a trip, an event, a meeting. Your group, not someone else's group. You guys are big enough now, if you've got more than 20 people, you should be running something, let's just call it every eight weeks, where in my organization, every eight weeks, forever, there was a campaign going on that I was promoting, I'm the Don King of business, right? I'm promoting, I'm promoting, I'm promoting, whatever it is, it's the greatest contest in the history of the world that culminated in an event about every eighth week. It was at the Embassy Suites, the West Coast, I don't care if we had 25 people there, but I would do the event at that place with just my group. Big events are not designed for you to bring in guest speakers who are so far in front of where your team is that although they feel inspired, there's no connectivity. A powerful event is where your people speak. Okay, so when I did my events every eight weeks, maybe one in three I brought in one guest speaker, but most of them I didn't. And we'd start out, and I remember the first one, we had like 26 people there. And I told the guys, hey, we're going to have an event. We're going to have 26 people there. We'll put the agenda together. And I put the agenda together. It was a Saturday thing at the Embassy Suites. It was at the uh, Embassy Suites in West Covina. We had 26 people there. We went into the room, seven-hour meeting, and here's what happened in that meeting. My whole career started to change because guess what? The guy who was about to quit got up and spoke first, and he was going to cover the eight filters, and he did pretty good, and he's feeling crap. He hasn't made any money. Nobody on his team showed up to the meeting, but he gives his speech, and when he's done, everyone's clapping. He goes back to his seat, right, and he's sitting there, and he was a little nervous to give the talk, and the guy leans over and says, hey, dude, great job, man, great job, awesome. The guy behind him taps him on and says, that was unbelievable, dude. The same guys at the BPM, but I changed the environment. Dude, I'd never seen you like that. That was the best you've ever talked before. Then at the break, you're in the bathroom like, hey, Mark, I wanted to ask you a question about that seventh filter. What about, and now he's the, well, let me tell you about the seventh filter, right? And all of a sudden, he's walking around like this. And then after we do the deal, we're at the, we're at the El Torito's. And the team's sitting there just having some fellowship time, right? Someone goes, can I just tell you how good Mark was? And your wife's sitting there, and she goes, honey, you were really good, right? Oh, dude, your identity's starting to change. You can't wait for the next event, right? And then the next speaker was the spouse who didn't even want to come, who's super negative, who hates the damn business, except now she's in front of a bunch of people, so she's got to say some stuff she doesn't even really mean to the group, right? Except as she's saying it, she starts to mean it. And she starts looking at her husband. She starts saying so, and she transforms. And then your stud, who's doing pretty good, gets up, and everyone's all proud of him, and he just kicks it out of the park, right? And then you get up at the end like the pastor of a church, and you stretch the vision. You tell them where we're going. And what I did at that meeting, because I was taught to do it, I said, hey, next one, eight weeks from now, right back here, we're putting 50 people in this room. And I filmed it. 
I had them video and said, guys, they're filming me. We're putting 50 people in that room. I'm telling you right now, putting 50 people in here. We're going to start to build some leaders. This is the greatest team coming up in this company. Then we did our little El Torito. Everyone built some fellowship. You come back to the office next Tuesday, people are like, hey, man, we got to get guests here. They're pulling together. The team's a little bit different. And at the end of that Tuesday night meeting, I said, hey, guys, just remember, and I played the video of me at the event. I just got chills. I played the video of, hey, we're going to have 50 people at that event. And every Tuesday, I played that video of me at the prior event, sold the campaign, sold the campaign, sold the campaign. Then the event happened. We had 58 people there. I was bringing my mom, my dad, like next door neighbor wasn't even in the business just to have bodies there, right? Because meeting attendance. And I, I, the meeting started, played a little bit of music. I made the room dark, and I played the video at the other event. And I said, we're going to have 50 people there, you guys. That was eight weeks ago. And then I turned the lights on, and we counted them. The team went nuts. Now, all of a sudden, I'm the Pied Piper, right? I made the contingent contest. I did my two directs. We're going to El Torito. I'm paying for everything. Those of you that qualified are going. Start to build leaders. You build leaders by letting them speak, by letting them stretch, by letting their spouse speak and building their identity. You should always, there should never be a month in your career where it's business as usual. Never one month where it's just like, oh, we're just doing business. You should always have a campaign that leads to a reward of an event or speaking. Then over time, it grew, and I go, all right, we're doing a Friday night leadership got to do this to qualify for Friday night. And now I'm bringing in Joe Blow. Joe Blow's having dinner with us Friday night. Then Saturday morning when the people didn't qualify, I'd get them up. Tell them about Friday night. Tell them how unbelievable last night was. You guys got to get into these Friday night meetings. Then that competition started, right? And that identity changed. And then the three or four people who made the Friday night dinner, they're feeling about their identity that's different. Do you see how that starts to shift your team? Do you, or no, or you don't? Okay. So I do five of those a year, and you just go to your upline stuff, and they listen to speakers. Who built more leaders that year? I'm going to build tons of leaders, and you're going to struggle to get one out of your base shop. And by the way, I'm also reinforcing this associate position and the associates to compete and the senior associates to compete at that event as I build my culture. I'm going to build a whole bunch of leaders, and you're just going to go to stuff and hear people speak. Have you ever had people come to a big event, and then there's less people there the next Tuesday? You have, haven't you? Half your team shrinks after a big event. I guarantee you the guy who spoke didn't miss the next meeting. You get more people speaking time. Then eventually you get your group together and they help plan the agenda. You're with me. All right, I got to go quick. Okay, that helps you. That's the science of building leaders. You got to equip people. Okay, last thing. I want to sell you on a principle and then we're done. I hope this has been pretty good. I want to sell you on a principle called Kanai, constant and never-ending improvement. I uh, made the mistake uh, when I was 40 years old of going on a trip with my wife to Hawaii for her birthday. And during that trip, it rained a lot and we had a couple cocktails. And so I was a clean living, good Christian man before that trip. But on that trip, somebody somehow said something to me about getting a tattoo. And I ended up getting three on the trip. (laughs) Dumbest decision of my life, midlife crisis, big old mistake, right? The biggest mistake about it is, is that if I ever was to get a tattoo again, I would actually tattoo on me what I'm really trying to represent and be about, which has nothing to do with whatever that guy put on me, okay? Which would be Kanai. I want to be constantly and never-ending improving in my body, in my faith, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my savings. In my, it's a process. I'm constantly asking myself, am I improving? Am I getting better? Am I, uh, am I the same guy I was a year ago? I was at a car wash a long time ago, and um, this guy, I had Max with me. Max was like five years old. And this guy came up to me, and sweet man, and he said, oh, what a beautiful son. And I'm, I'll never forget this to this day. I'll leave you on this thought about improvement. He said to me, he goes, Really enjoy this five-year-old because a six-year-old will be a totally different person. And isn't that true with our kids? He'll be a totally different person. Enjoy the five-year-old because when he's gone, he's gone forever. There'll be a six-year-old that replaces him, right? 
and I remember I didn't mean to say it. I honestly didn't. It was in days where my mouth wrote checks I, it shouldn't write sometimes. But I actually responded. I said, thank you. When did that stop for you? And I didn't mean to be hurtful when I said it. But most adults, there becomes a time in their life where that process of, re even though the cells in your body regenerate themselves every 12 to 18 months and you are literally cellularly a whole new brand new person, psychologically, mentally, and identity-wise, and in most people's faith and relationships, they're exactly the same person even though cellularly they changed. And he just kind of looked at me. And I think it made, I didn't mean to hurt his feelings, but I don't, the 44-year-old me, my 45-year-old me, isn't hopefully the same guy the 44-year-old was. Hopefully it's a little bit better version, right? I hope he's not the same as the 43-year-old or the 40. My core is the same. My character is the same. But my outward ability to execute my life and help people hopefully is better. And so I hope that you're not the same person when you leave here that when you came in. Nor, nor do I hope you're the same person next year that you are right now or the year after that that you are. Life is about, in my mind, can I? Constant and never-ending improvement. I want to seek God more. I want to get closer to the Lord. I want, to, I want to try to improve every area of my life if I can. And so I live by that principle. That's a principle that I use to drive my life. Even speaking today, I didn't want to say just the same things I've ever said before. I want to try to outlay them in some sort of a different way. It may not be as good a way, but it'll be a different way. right? And so I want to challenge you to do that. We brought you here in conclusion because you're the best we have where you are. And you ought to feel good about that. Some of you come in here, you don't even know whether you belong. Trust me, you belong here but you don't belong here next year. You don't belong here next year. You ought to have nothing to do with this next year. This place you're at right now, you ought to never see again. That guy you are right now shouldn't be here next year. He ought to not be the same person or the same woman. It ought to be a different person. And I just admire so much. I know most of you guys really well. I think for many of you, this is seriously a catalyst. I think a lot of good things were happening for most of you coming in here, but I sense there's a, more than just a couple of you, seriously. I, usually in these meetings, my outcome is I hope a couple of them shift. I really do think a high percentage of you are going to make a shift when you leave here. and It's going to get super competitive. And so I'm really grateful that I got to be with you. And I'm looking forward to tonight and dinner and more conversations with you. But really admire you. And I hope, uh, hope it helped a little bit. So thank you very much.